this podcast kicked off here. Today we have Christopher Sue on the podcast. He is a pianist, composer, arranger, and educator. I've watched him grow a YouTube channel from like 1,000 subs, I think is when I saw it, to now we're, we're closing in on 15K. Uh, and this dude's posting a video like every day, like a machine. So I wanted to talk to you about that. Chris, welcome to the pod. Well, thank you so much for having me, guys. I, I really appreciate it. So um, you want to start with just giving us like a crash course on the musical background. Where did you get your start? How did you learn piano? Things like that. Yeah. So typically like any um, traditional Asian family, I guess, my parents were like, okay, so you're getting around the age where you can start picking things up and learning music. So what do you want to do? And uh, apparently I wanted to play piano and I also wanted to play violin. And so my parents were like, no, no, you, you should probably just choose one to start. Yeah, they're um, both really hard. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Well, turn, yeah, no, I, I ended up going with piano to start, but I think my parents still wanted me to try violin. So I did go with that for a little bit. But then eventually I just decided that piano was probably the more comfortable instrument for me, I think. And it was just more applicable to more situations, I think, you know, and to this day, I don't regret that at all. But yeah. And then in high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I discovered songwriting. And so I really wanted to get into composing more. I knew I wanted to produce music. I had a couple of friends who really inspired me in that way. And so I was like, okay, well, maybe in university, I'll look at a program that has those things in it. So I was looking into production programs and you know songwriting courses, but I ended up having to go to piano performance uh, in classical music because that's where my parents really thought I was the strongest. And they were like, you know, this is what you've been doing your whole life, just do that. Cool. So I did. And unfortunately, I never really developed the, the true love, the true passion for performance, but I always really enjoyed writing in the meantime. And so I think it was in my second year where I really started to come across orchestral instruments and VIs and all of that stuff. And uh, then I built my newest channel, which is the one we know today. And it's just been a wonderful journey from there. Um, I've really tried to stay super consistent with my postings and helping as much as I can to the community, sharing my experiences. And yeah, it's just been a lot of fun so far. And I'm, I'm really hoping to continue developing it as the years go by, because there's always more to learn and there's just so much coming out on a daily basis that you can absorb and in turn uh, put out into the world as creators and musicians. So it's been a great journey so far. Nice, man. It's overwhelming. Yeah, there's so much content coming out all the time. Totally. Uh, do you have a specific genre that you were focused on with the piano, like romantic or like a famous composer that you gravitate toward? Yeah, I think um, I, I always gravitated towards the romantic styles like Chopin okay. and Schubert and whoever. But you know, having that Baroque training with Bach and the classical yeah. training with, you know, Beethoven was always a great thing to round things out. But romantic music was where I actually suffered at the very beginning because I, I was only technical, so I couldn't really play emotional stuff. But as that came along, I started to appreciate that more. And as I matured, then it kind of became second nature in terms of actual writing music as well. Okay. Do you kind of gravitate toward film composers who play piano as well? You know, funny enough, I actually don't listen to that much film music myself. I, okay. I actually prefer some game scores. I, I like I, I like film music in the sense that they can have very memorable themes and stuff. But at the same time, if you're just listening to those scores, I guess they can tend to feel like they go on a rabbit trail because they're following the scene, right? Whereas yeah. a concert piece or something, you know, they have their own determined structure mm -hmm. and it all kind of makes cohesive sense. But yeah, in general, it's just um, anything with a good theme, the nice chord progressions and all that that sticks in your mind. Those are my guilty pleasures yeah what what are some of your favorite video game scores 
Uh, the, the top ones would have to be uh, the Super Mario Galaxy series. They just got these lush orchestral scores that are just beautiful. And then there's a couple, uh, I guess, from, you know, Octopath Traveler. And there's like uh, the Kirby series, like really family friendly okay. stuff that it, it's simple, but it has a really beautiful arc to the themes and the harmonies that keep the interest up. Yeah. And then, you know, there are other pieces that obviously stand out as well. But I think those would probably be the, the main ones that influenced me growing up for sure. We just had Aaron Grubb on the podcast who's like making Zelda music. And it's nice. crazy how much Nintendo influenced our childhoods. Totally. Like absolutely. Pokemon. And I mean, just yeah. it's it's absolutely wild how ingrained that stuff is. And in a similar vein, Randy Newman made up yeah. so much of my childhood, you know, to the Pixar <laughs> movies. Like Craig's a little older than us, so... Uh, he what are you trying to say? Don't, don't, <laughs> don't pull yeah. my age card right now. It's too, we are a few minutes in. Man. No, it's okay. Uh, starting starting yeah. early. I should have also mentioned Disney as well, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I've, yeah, I've seen you on your channel post a lot of stuff regarding like Disney music. Yeah, and, yeah, like, yeah. Like the the Mario stuff. For me, it was I was always into like Final Fantasy. Like mm. Final Fantasy 1 in particular. I remember my brother used to always play that game and I used to just sit and it was like the kind of the first time I ever was like, kind of focusing on the music like oh this sounds cool you know like right mario is very just like video game music that's like radio friendly like the little thing it'll just yeah, like yeah, stick yeah, in your yeah, head yeah. like and you'll need it's to realize it yeah yeah like final fantasy for me was always like that one where it's like first was like listening to the music like on the actual you know cd soundtracks because mm. like i just want to listen to it like it's, right. it's cool how like old video game music even when it was like in an 8-bit still transitioned into an orchestra sounds amazing so it just goes Still to show slapped. like, yeah, it just goes to show like the composers, they weren't messing around. Right. Yeah. Like the Those limited just, tools they had, right. They had to make the most out of it. Yeah. It just, but just their composition ability. It's like, all yeah. right, give me some 8-bit, but you know, you put this on some good production stuff a few, few years down the road and it's going to sound awesome. Because the uh, composition itself is really nice and the orchestration and arranging is yeah. really nice. So talk to me about your YouTube channel. You have grown a lot in the last year and you've been posting i think i saw over 500 videos in in the uh channel lifetime yeah so i mean i i actually haven't had any videos go you know viral or anything i've had a couple of videos yeah. that have i guess been bigger for me but but those are mainly just you know sample library things and uh, more general music topics but you know since the inception of the channel for just over four years ago, um, I've basically been posting a video a week at least, and sometimes uh, multiple. And then I've been doing this experiment to uh, basically upload a video a day for the past uh, three months, so from January to now, basically. And wow. I have a few more videos lined up for these um, the, the next month or so. But yeah, it's it's been really good to just kind of see where my audience is preferring um, content and what they kind of want to see more of. And so, yeah, I'm really trying to take this year to really figure out how to take the channel further and um, just hone in on the things that people really want to see because the numbers don't lie. And I'll basically <laughs> go from there. But it's, it's always a fine balance because you don't want to make content that people don't like. So you have to find what people want, but you also want to stay true to yourself as well. So I'm always trying to find that balance. You don't want to go full crypto sellout. Exactly. Like, uh, like I don't yeah. know the first thing stuff. about. Yeah. I'm gonna give you my. I'm gonna give you my three. My three key secrets to becoming a composing millionaire. Click the link down oh, below. I, I like that actually. I might steal that. <laughs> it's all about. It's all about that clickbait, man. Yeah. Clickbait. yeah. <laughs> How have you found your audience? You said you don't have like a 
any viral viral videos i saw mm-hmm. some stuff with like 75k views which is nothing to scoff at but you're, it's mostly steady growth right it's just slow kind of slow going and, and consistency yeah yeah and i i don't like i don't really know how the algorithm works how they pick up keywords and stuff but i find that there's a consistency across virtual instruments and sample libraries in general and mm-hmm. they tend to do better because i guess the the market for that is just bigger and people are interested in that but midi orchestration basic composing tutorials people like those and sample libraries are just um, a hot topic all the time and so people can really feed into that and learn a lot i guess totally it's, it's cool and the education aspect of that, so you have some free content on YouTube mm-hmm. and then you also have some courses, right? Correct, yeah. So I think the very first course I put out, uh, Cinematic Music Creation, was maybe June, July of 2020. And that's kind of like the all-encompassing course for you know start to finish um, producing orchestral music. And then I've basically produced more niche courses from there. Um, actually launched a course this week and uh, yeah, it's just been a really fun journey, but it's basically for those who, who like the free content but wanna go further and want like a step-by-step a to Z system type of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's the idea. That's great. I saw the piano skills for composers, which I think is brilliant. Yes. And you, 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 I don't know if you crowdsourced that idea or you got it from VI control at all, but I, I know that people were kind of jealous of your uh, tickling the ivories, so to speak. And um, <laughs> have you had like some good response to that course? Yeah. Funny enough that that was the best launch I've ever had for, um, and I guess maybe just the topic resonated with people. I, um, yeah. Like I know there are piano courses out there, but I guess very few actually tackle it from a composing standpoint, like how to actually apply it with ear training and all that to your music. And um, so, yeah, I guess I I just found the right audience there. But um, it was always something that I wanted to do because I've been teaching piano for six, seven years now. And I was like, well, what if I just made a piano course, but I didn't want just want to make a generic piano course, right? Like I wanted to fit right. into our niche. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wanted to price it very fairly. I wanted people to see the value in it. And so far, people have been enjoying it. So yeah, it's been great. That's awesome. It is kind of harder to find adult material on piano that is like targeted for a very specific use. You know, Mm -hmm. you can easily find Mary that had a little lamb or like simple, you know, Mm -hmm. children's songs for children. And then you can easily find like beginner Beethoven, but it's hard. It's harder to find like how does James Horner use the piano or what, you know, like that kind of stuff. So I think that's really smart. And I, I think it makes sense that many composers were interested in that because we're not very good at piano. A, a lot, lot of, of a lot of composers <laughs> who I've met, it's, it's funny, a lot of the ones that I've had the opportunity to interview, a lot of times they're like piano or keyboard is not their forte. You know, they're like, you know, I started playing guitar in high school and, you know, then they this is usually the most common medium for people to like, sure. arrange things, you know, MIDI and using virtual instruments. And I, I can say this from experience because I was the same way. Like, I just wanted to be able to, like, create that kind of stuff. But I'm just like mm-hmm. my I I don't I'm not a keyboardist by sure. by trade, you know, so it's like that kind of stuff is very beneficial because so many, you know, composers. It's funny how a lot of them, like that's their job, but they're like, I'm not a keyboard player. They're not sitting there, you know, because it's you're you're not performing. You don't have to have all these like piano chops. It's more just like you could hit, you know, step input and dun, yes. dun, 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 yes. and just it's more about making the the mock-up sound good than it is being able to, you know, have a director and like, hey, check this out, you know, unless you're like John Williams. It's, yeah. No one really cares. It's so funny you mentioned that. I mean, I literally have some students who, I guess, click everything in with a mouse, like note by note, and then they um, they they draw in all the modulation um, post recording, and and uh, yeah, I mean, they they get really fast at it. But I, you know, just the basic skill of being able to play 
you know, a simple melody and then some chords on the bottom. Like that is usually 90% of what we do. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, if we're doing a thematic thing, then it makes perfect sense. I mean, if you're doing more complicated stuff, then sure, you can play in one line at a time, et cetera. But just being able to, you know, tinkle your way around, figure out basic voicings, like how you want maybe some registers to go in certain instruments versus others. Like this is all enveloped within the the, key, the basic keyboard skills that I think we should all have. And so that that course is basically designed to, to tackle that problem from a classical standpoint, but then applying it to composition. So I like that a lot. Yeah. Have you found success with YouTube shorts? Um, yeah, shorts is, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've done four of them at this point and they get around the same number of views that my, my typical videos do, but I was a little hesitant to do them at first just because I didn't really know how to do them. And I found that, you know, obviously it just takes just practice and I'm definitely planning on doing more. It it should be a a fun journey to figure it out along the way. Yeah, I I ask because we're kind of just like dipping our toe in over there. And yeah, it's such a wild west of like no rules and nobody really knows how to uh, (laughs) how to make it, you know, super successful. So right. I uh, I was curious if you had any tricks on that. Yeah, no, I was watching a a video last week actually I think on on shorts and they were saying something like make sure the intro itself really hooks in the viewer because like I that's the first few seconds really matter because like retention on normal videos matters but for shorts I think just the fact that if they stay longer than the first few seconds it already bumps you up in the algorithm totally. and then you want to. I guess a pretty clear CTA at the ending or something, you know, just to keep them on, et cetera. But, you know, of course, I'm sure there's more to it than that. But that's true. Yeah. Cause YouTube rewards keeping people on the site, right? Yeah. Or on the app. Yeah. One thing I have heard is keeping it at like 15 seconds. Mm. Like that's something I've been like researching on that some people are saying that, like, cause you can do up to a minute. Yeah. But actually, 15 seconds is more of like a good. You know, so I guess that's mm-hmm. one thing to experiment with too is, you know, you could do like 15 second short or like a 30 second short and just like try to make like cram as much cool stuff in that 15 seconds yeah. just to like get it floating into the, into the short board. Sure. I think another thing is when you look at a 15 second video, you're like, yeah, I can, I have time to watch that. <laughs> Whereas mm-hmm. if you see a 45 minute video, you're like, uh, I'll save that for later. I'll, I don't have time to watch that right now. As you scroll through, if it's a shorter video, you might be more likely to click on it. Like I know in regular YouTube land, I'm more likely to click on a two minute video than a 40 minute video. Yeah. So talk to us about your musical influences as far as like game music, composers or um, people you kind of find inspiration from. Totally. Yeah. I mean, if I really had to narrow it down, I would probably say the Japanese composers who put the Super Mario Galaxy series together and then probably Alan Menken. The, nice. the the classic Disney sound and then the classic uh, orchestral Mario sound is probably what has defined my style the most in terms of progressions and how I construct themes and uh, pieces in general. My entire catalog, in a way, is comprised of themes and and melodies that I personally remember. And I mm. feel like if I can remember it, because my my memory is not super good, then other people can probably remember it too. And if it makes me feel something, then I know. Um, I'm on the right track and Mm -hmm. I'm in the position where like, I don't have to write on certain deadlines. Um, That's one reason I don't do tons of film scoring or game scoring or whatever, because I, I'm just not the type of person who can really write on demand very well. I prefer to write and be emotionally invested in every piece that I write. So that's that creative freedom that I've chosen to have. So that means I have to find other ways of monetizing 
right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's an artist outlet for you. That's cool. Yes. Have you gotten pigeonholed at all as a pianist? People who know you, are they like, oh yeah, that guy's a pianist or that guy's one thing? Because you have like a list of things that you do mm-hmm. and um, certain people can only think of you as one thing. I don't know if that makes Definitely. sense. Or the yeah, thing that absolutely. sticks in their mind. Right, right. That's a good question. I mean, if if they have pigeonholed me in some way, I, I'm not aware of it. Uh, yeah. Okay, then no, that's not true. In in high school, everyone was saying, "Oh, you're the piano guy," but uh, <laughs> sure, sure. But but now, like now that I've released an album, um, people are starting to say, "Oh, I can actually hear your sound in there." Like you know, you you have influences, but it still definitely sounds like you throughout. And mm-hmm. for me, that's kind of the the biggest compliment I could have. Like I would never want to completely rip something off, even though, you know, innately we're, we're we're like we will tend to copy influences that we have. Yeah. But just having that unique sound is definitely. Uh, rewarding for sure but yeah i don't think i've ever you know really been pigeonholed into something as far as i'm aware yeah i that's used to good. be called that long-haired guitar guy hey is that that's that long-haired <laughs> guitar guy yeah uh, yeah. yeah and then they still called that a little bit i yeah i get that every time yeah now whenever i go to the store I, have, I always get questions how long have you been growing your hair I'm like <laughs> yeah 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 i think even on like vi control actually i mean i i've seen some people refer to me as like the Disney guy. Cause just cause they, I, I've done quite a few Disney videos on the, on the channel and I love that music, but I don't know, I guess it depends on just what people see of you and then yeah. that's it. Yeah. Since you do, you know, like, you know, music creation and like the course thing, like what is it that you're with your brand that you, that you would love to be doing? Like, you know, your ideal day getting up and, you know, is there more like the course thing or is it more like doing, or yeah, like more education or music composition or just a little bit of both or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in an ideal life, maybe in a couple of years, um, I would love to be making a full-time living with with the content and the courses and earning an income that way. And then scale back on my private teaching, which I've been doing again for like six, seven years now. Um, over time that that's become uh, more of a mental burden and that's not nothing against the students of course but it's just like something that you have to do right and it's yeah. it's it's um, you're trading time for money and that's how most jobs work but um, scalable income I think is the name of the game going forward um, for as entrepreneurs especially if they want to really do this long term and so for me I would love to maybe spend an hour or two recording videos uh, editing for another week you know for for the channel and then uh, yeah, maybe write a little bit if I'm feeling inspired, uh, go outside, play some tennis, jog, whatever, you know, enjoy life, enjoy family, enjoy friends, mm-hmm. and not have to worry about the finances. I think that's every every person's dream, honestly. Yeah. So a uh, question I have is, since you've been doing a video a day, how, like, how mm-hmm. do you go about planning out the different types of videos that you want to do? Do you have like a day that you sit and just kind of like brainstorm and just kind of like mind dump all this stuff? Right. You know, or like, do you have like a list of like first priority, last thing, or just like kind of sketching out, like, how do you go about planning out your content for the week or yeah. the month? Yeah, totally. So um, there's there's this uh, concept called content buckets. And uh, I, w- I discovered it through uh, Graham Cochran. And uh, he has a business channel and Recording Revolution, which yep. um, yeah, a lot of people I'm, know. I've seen a lot of his stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, over on his... Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Over on his uh, his business channel, he put out a video on how you can write out a year's worth of content in a single day. And so basically you do that by coming up with, let's say four to five different topics, overall topics like sample libraries or composition or orchestration, whatever. And then within each bucket, you write down 12 to 13 video ideas you wanna do within each bucket. And then you can pick one from each bucket for the month if it's one video a week. And that's how you do that. So that's what I've been doing. 
Um, except instead of 12 videos, I was doing like, I don't know, 36 videos or something. I, I was really jamming it within the course of two weeks and then re batch recorded that in a few days and then just stripped it out. And so now I'm at the wow. tail end of that. So it feels good. What's 36 videos among friends? That's hard. <laughs> That's hard work. Man. So, so how many, how many videos are you doing a day? Are you just knocking out like a week's worth of videos in one day, just like filming them and then like another day to just edit or like how you, or how do you go about that? Yeah, yeah. So if, if it's a filming day, if I'm feeling up for it, I'll probably film um, maybe five to six videos at a time, assuming they're each, let's say, five to ten minutes, you know? And then I'll spend the next hour or so editing them all, exporting them all at the same time, mm -hmm. um, just batch doing everything. And then I'll do the same another day. But yeah, generally, I prefer to stay maybe a month ahead of my schedule just so I'm never feeling pressured and like I don't really have anything in my schedule so say okay film today or edit today but I just know that okay in like on this date I want to have this video out so I will make time to do that thing mm -hmm. so there's probably a more structured way to do it but that's just how what I've been doing oh well, I mean that seems like a pretty good way of just kind of like batching out a bunch of stuff just like all right today just knock it all out I got the camera rolling right I'm already you're it's like you're already talking how have you felt and this is someone, you know, of course I do a lot of the video stuff for, for Sounder and Nathan as well. Yeah. Like, how did you feel like when you first started compared to now, as far as like your ability to talk on camera, is it like, is that something that you've gotten more and more comfortable with? Is there anything that you do to kind of like get in the flow? Cause I, you know, I, I mean, I've been doing this for a while, but like, you know, yeah. I see old videos and I'm like, oh God, like, <laughs> who is this guy? <laughs> I'm like, but it's yeah. like, even, even then it's still, it's, it's never really like a, easy thing you always kind of have to like get in the groove so it's like can you explain a little yeah. bit of that of course yeah yeah so i mean looking back on my first videos now i <laughs> i i was i was like a zombie on camera i feel like maybe like maybe i would say oh this this sounds good you know maybe let's dive a little bit into this but my my expression was always like pretty blank and mm -hmm. i feel like i guess this is with any person who's on any sort for, form of social media or whatever over time they kind of develop and get comfortable in their own skin right and yeah. for me i felt like i've been able to be uh, more outgoing. I've been able to feel comfortable knowing the structure of my videos, how I want to say things. And you just, you, you kind of set up certain, like, I guess, neural patterns and networks in your brain. So you kind of know what's going to come up next, even before you say it. And then you can always be excited because you know that, uh, you know, this content is going to help people. Um, you know, it's going to be uh, influential in some way, like people are, are listening. Um, this is a piece of content that will uh, be there forever for people to discover. Like all these things contribute to the content creation process that makes it more and more exciting. And so um, the way you present it is just your own, of course, personality. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's, I guess it's just been easier and easier. And I, I, I treat it like talking to a friend, honestly. So yeah, it's like if exactly. I'm helping someone out in an afternoon, what, like, what would I say to them? You know? Yeah. It's like if you had someone in your room and you're trying to explain to them like some, some cool features in Cubase, you're like, dude, right. and then you could do this. And then if you go over here, well, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I think for some people it's, it's interesting how, like, as soon as the camera comes on, it's yeah. just like shut down. Right. You know? headlights. Yeah. Cause I know there's a lot of people out there, you know, composers or, or people looking to build channels. And a lot of it is just getting out of your own head to mm -hmm. actually start because a lot of people feel like, well, what do I have to say that anyone cares yes. about? Or, you know, and, and yes. everyone has their own unique perspective. So it's like, if you even have any interest in doing it, it's just, you just got to start because it's rough. It is rough when you first start mm -hmm. and you look back and you're just like, why did you say it? like, like live it <laughs> up? You just want to like shake, grab yourself and like shake yourself yeah. in the thing. Like, wake the hell up, man. <laughs> you know? Right. But, Imposter uh, syndrome is so real for sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. Self, especially because there's so many talented people out there. You're just like, well, you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. 
I don't talk like that or that's not your personality and it's easy to kind of get down on yourself. Right. No, that, that's yeah. a great topic. I mean, like literally at this moment, um, last week I was binge watching a channel called Film Booth. And so they have some great content teaching you how to like really grow your channel. And I've been watching some other people and I'm like, wow, they have really awesome editing skills. And I actually really want to incorporate some of those in my content, but I'm a little nervous about how they'll come across. Like, of course, I'll just do my best and I still want it to feel natural. But at the same time, I do want the content to be a little more engaging than it currently is. So there's always stuff you can work on. Is there anything that you have planned that you want to do with your channel? Because I, I know like with a lot of your videos, it seems like you, you have like a, a specific sort of like the way it's set up and a very, mm. you know, specific look. Is there anything that you've been wanting to do with with your channel aesthetically or like camera or, you know, because I, yeah. I, I'm always curious to hear this kind of stuff because like Nathan hears me all the time. I'm always changing stuff around and moving cameras and you know, so right. it's like, is there anything that you want to do with your channel? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, because um, right now I'm always filming in my bedroom and I used to film with the light on and it so created this like halo around my head. And so um, once, once Craig, you told me about the auto uh, focus thing, like turning that off and then making sure that the exposure was correct and all that. So I set that up. Um, that was a, a great improvement for sure. And oh, awesome. Yeah, right now I'm still still in my bedroom. You guys can probably tell, but I'm really planning within the next month or so to maybe renovate um, a room in the basement and clear out some stuff so I get a more professional studio look and I can actually be on camera without having to worry about um, lighting issues and stuff. I, I purchased two key light airs and I want to set those up as well. So oh, nice. I'm just yeah thinking thinking about how to set that up. And then I think when if I do sample library videos, I'll probably transition from that speaking head uh, view to maybe just the DAW itself. Like I don't have to be on camera every second. Like I could just demonstrate the sound and then maybe wrap it up with that sort of thing. And then back with the talking head and then have a you know CTA. So there's still some structure in there, but yeah, it's, I want to tighten it up a little bit. Um, I don't know how it's going to go down with the subscribers, but I, at the same time, I, I want to experiment a little bit. Yeah. I think a lot of people like to see a little variety. It kind of shows that, you know, you're always experimenting and, yeah. you know, I, and I, I, I think especially if, if you know, like, cause I mean, you're the one who's seeing yourself edit, you know, or you're mm -hmm. editing yourself all the time. So it's like, mm -hmm. eventually, you know, when you start to get to the point where like, Hey, what if I tried this or, you know, wanted to try this or, you know, you start to like see things that you would like to see. And I, I've always tried to see video doing video content almost like music, you know, it's like mm -hmm. if you're experimenting, it's like if you use the same plugins all the time, eventually you're like, yeah. well, what if, what if I use this? Like, what if I, you know, so like whenever right. you have that little, what if thing, like just experiment, it's, it's, it's yeah. kind of the same like music. Like, well, if I change my sound, are people going to stop listening to my music? Mm. But at the end of the day, it's more of like, I always see it as like, take it from like an artistic approach and just roll with it. Mm -hmm. You know, you're developing. Yeah. As far as building in public goes, you're yes. kind of composing in public. You are uh, educating in public. Would you say that has been a net positive for you, like a success? And and what would you say to like a new composer or or maybe a seasoned composer who is scared to show their face on social media? Um, yeah, I, I honestly, I think as long as you have something of value to share, which I think everybody does in their own niche. Um, I don't think there's any harm in putting something out there, even if it's just a couple of videos, because number one, you are you are literally putting a piece of yourself into the world and making another way for people to discover you, right? You're forming potential networking and relationships that way. Yeah. But yeah, at the same time, it's just a really great way to practice and build your uh, teaching skills, your um, presenting skills, whatever it is. 
and it helps in all other areas of life too. Like if you can develop like a consistent routine of publishing, even just a very short piece of content um, every single week at the same time, um, that just kind of builds into your own routine as well, you know? And I think by, by habit, we, we like to have things we can depend on um, regular routines and schedules to some degree. And that's mm-hmm. another great way to uh, develop that. But yeah, for, for me personally, it was it, it's only been positive, I would say, because before this, um, five years ago, I really didn't know anything about the composing scene or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and people had no idea who I was either, right? And so when I started the channel and started uploading, I think it's just gotten me... Um, you know, these relationships, these networking opportunities, I've been able to visit people. Uh, I've gotten these uh, arranging orchestration gigs entirely just from people discovering the channel, maybe listening to a tutorial or a piece of music um, and then reaching out. And yeah. yeah, so if you never try, then you never get any potential rewards that might come, but you have to be consistent and you have to truly add value to people. That's really what it comes down to. I like that a lot. Have you been bullied in the comments? You gotten any negative feedback or any like... You know, just oh, trash yeah. people on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course, I, I, I mean, who hasn't? You know, I'm uh, the, the more, the yeah. yeah, yeah, like the more people uh, appreciate what you do, you know, a fraction of them will definitely um, respond badly as well. And of course, that you know, you can always say like, yeah, I mean, this person has a point. Like, maybe I should have presented this in a better way. But at the same time, I think a lot of people are also entitled sometimes and yeah. you know once they digest something that's maybe free maybe they expect everything to be free or so it's like oh maybe if you are uh offering something paid then it's like well who, who are you charged for this like just just keep giving us free stuff you know? <laughs> yeah, not, it yeah. hasn't gone to that that point but uh there are there will always be people who try to detract from what you do and i think it's just maybe personal insecurity or jealousy or something but yeah, yeah. Or like everyone has their own opinion like especially when it comes to music and music composition like you know when you see arguments of people who are like you know let's say composer wins an award for some score and then mm. everyone's like that yeah. score's boring i could have right. did it way better you know <laughs> So he doesn't even compose his own music. You know, it's like they're like keyboard warriors. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, I mean, of course the internet wouldn't be the internet without its, you know, fair share of, you know, dumpster fires out there. (laughs) Definitely. But yeah, it's just like, it's all subjective. If I'm talking about composing piece of music and someone's like, no, 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 you don't do that. That's not right. It's like, well, who, who the hell are you to tell me yeah, what's yeah, yeah. right about my music? You know, especially, right. you know, like people get like parallel th- this, why are you going to do that? That's, yeah. you know. It's just like, shut up, man. Like, if, if that's <laughs> what, you the case, don't like purists. <laughs> well, because I, I mean, when it comes to theory and stuff, like, I think it's great to learn music theory. You know, like people say, learn it and forget it. Well, there's so mm. there's a lot of people out there that learn it and then they start defending it. Like, no, that's mm. you don't do that or whatever. But it's like when it comes to music, it's just like, hey, put it out there. You know, like if you don't like it, then just keep scrolling. But then it's like get people that are like, hold on, I gotta let them have it. Yeah, you know, and it's just yeah. like someone's yeah. breaking the rules. Yeah, I remember I did a video a long time ago because I, I I'm not like I didn't go to school for music. I didn't go to school for like orchestration. So I'm kind of like learning as I go and just like, all right, try this thing, put it out there. And someone's like, You're watching Viol- Christopher's videos. Yeah. They're like, <laughs> violas don't do that. And it's like, oh, whatever. <laughs> come on, man. Like, who are you, man? Yeah, yeah. I think ultimately everyone just wants a little bit of attention, right? And whether that's yeah. making you mad or making themselves feel like, ha, I have the upper hand, you know? Yeah. They'll they'll do whatever they yeah, want. Yeah, try do. a little bit harder than that. My skin's yeah, pretty yeah, thick yeah. over the years. So um, so a question that kind of goes along with this is what is the best advice you've ever been given? Best piece of advice. Oh. And it can be like an old professor talking music, it can be an entrepreneur talking business, it can be mm. anything. 
Yeah, I think maybe maybe two pieces of advice that come to mind right away. Number one would probably be consistency is key. Um, I think it's just really important. Uh, whatever you want to do for a living and whatever you envision long term, mm-hmm. it is something you just have to commit to on an at least weekly basis. I think so. Workouts, making music, uh, content creation, whatever it is. The funny thing is, you know, a lot of people want to get really big on these platforms and. It really gives us that ego boost and credibility, sure. But at the same time, like, what are you really using the platform for? Like, what's the end game, you know? Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm using YouTube to build my business, not necessarily to have a huge subscriber base, although, of yeah. course, that would be the cherry on the top. But that that's where my focus is. And so I'm literally committed myself to uploading on a weekly basis to build my business and to add value to the world for free as well. And that's my perfect happy medium, personally. Uh, I think the other thing I would say, though, uh, for the second piece would probably be less is more because a lot of people feel like they just need all these libraries, right? Totally. And there are tons and tons of great libraries out in the world, yours included, but it just feels like people feel like libraries are the answers to their mock-up problems and their compositions. And um, people just love to spend money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, uh, It's just that they... (laughs) Uh, it's it's hard for us to self-diagnose and say, okay, we are actually the problem, right? So um, once we realize that we can actually make a lot of out of what we already have, it's really freeing in my opinion. And it allows you to block out a lot of the noise that just is circulating around on a daily basis, I think. Yeah, nice. I think I think a lot of it too is also like, you know, when people are buying libraries, you know, it, it's like, understanding its strengths what it does you know if you're buying a chamber string library and expecting this huge symphonic sound well that you didn't do your research you know right or it's like or like understanding like you know that's what you see a lot on forums you know people saying like oh you know what's the you know best for you know for short strings or you know but it's like well some some have a really big sound and then you use like a more tighter focused layered on top of it so it's not really like a one-size-fits-all it's like trying to find your like ultimate favorite band yeah. You know, and then absolutely. you want that one band to like do all these different things. Well, it's like, you well, know, you got to branch out. You got to listen to some other music, you know? So it's like, yeah, yeah. That's the yeah, thing. Exactly. Like, if people yeah. learn exactly what that library does, like, you're going to go way farther with, you know, a, a smaller number, you know, yeah. or, you know, that sort of thing when you know what it does, how it works, how to utilize right. it, you know, combining articulations, all that stuff. You can't just like, oh, well, I put this one patch. How come it doesn't make everything sound like the way I want? Like, <laughs> right. You got to do some work. You know, you can't just buy a library and expect it to, get you you know 95 percent there so there's plenty of user error involved i know i opened up synths from years ago and i'm like i know more about synthesis now i'm like oh this is how to use the synth or like (laughs) it just makes more sense the more knowledge you have and you know previously i like threw it in the trash because i was like well the presets (laughs) aren't any good you know or whatever Mm. like and then you come back to it later with more education and you understand how to use the product. So with your course, uh, you said it's cinematic creation, right? Cinematic, cinematic music creation. Yes. Music creation. So uh, where does it like start the course at? Is it yeah, somebody who doesn't yeah. know any music or is it someone who has like a basic understanding? Yeah. Uh, I mean, th- this program is essentially um, a start to finish path for the composer who's maybe just starting out or even at an intermediate level, but they, they want... Uh, basically all the pieces to the puzzle put together for them. So it's it's essentially like five or six courses in one. There's like 
uh, music theory module, composing module, orchestration module, and then it's like how to apply all of that together. And okay. then, you know, we kind of write a piece, um, start to finish a full symphonic piece and mix and master it at the very end. So there's, you know, a few modules at the beginning to really cover all the fundamental bases and then expand upon that and then um, apply all of that into practice uh, later. So it's definitely the um, best-selling one so far because I've, I mean, that that's the course that I've been sharing with um, all of my new subscribers and they, they seem to get great results out of it. So um, that's definitely the first one I could recommend for anyone starting out and really wanting to dive into the orchestral composing process. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, moving pieces to it, right? It's a big mm-hmm. puzzle. So the the more overview, that sounds like a, that sounds like a smart idea. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the I mean, uh, a couple other courses I've made, like uh, there's one called Songwriting for Animation. That one's specifically dedicated to how to write like Disney style music, for example. And oh, okay. there's like dedicated case studies. But of course, that one's a little more niche and not as many people are going to be as into that sort of thing. So there's, um, you know, other courses like the piano one we talked about. One I just launched um, today is all about how to make your MIDI mock-up sound better, you know, and uh, I, I'm expecting more people will go into that one. There's, uh, I think it's priced at a, fair price point. And uh, yeah, it's applicable to most of the people in our market, I think. So I think that just comes comes down to really knowing what the, the market wants and building that relationship with your people. Yeah. So the new, the new course is MIDI Mockup Secrets? Correct. Yes. And can you share maybe one of the secrets? Of course. Yeah. So, um, the, the one I, uh, I, I think is probably the most important is uh, dynamics and expression. I think that's the one that most people overlook, but mm. um, even for even for instruments that don't have a ton of dynamic layers, even if there's like a built-in filter, uh, it's always great to just ride that mod wheel and draw in that natural expression. Even if it's in post, like after you record your line, most beginner composers make the mistake of just leaving the performance as is, you know? And specifically for orchestral instruments, it's so important to get that that life in there with the dynamics layers and with the actual general volume going up and down. And then that leads to the question, like how do you make a line sound musical with the dynamics? And it's actually as natural as, you know, if a, if a phrase is going up, like do, 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 and it comes back down afterwards, you probably want to swell into that phrase and then, you know, taper it off at the very end. Because if you imagine like a singer doing it, they would inject more air into it for that passion, right? And then they would kind of come back down and tail off with their breath at the very end of the phrase. I've had a lot of the time when we're writing this type of music, we're trying to emulate vocalists and create a natural sound. So if we can kind of think about what they're doing and try it out for ourselves in our voice, that gives us a lot of ideas of how to tweak the dynamics and modulation in our own performances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, knowing knowing what instruments can do and more or less normally do is yeah. you know that's a whole another thing even aside from just orchestration like knowing what instrument sections do what like right. who carries the lower range who carries the you know the like the higher range and being able to like divide you know but another thing is really like how do people play and mm-hmm. you know like it's a great example of what you're saying like with the vocal mm-hmm. you know that that's a whole another thing that is part of the whole process and i think a lot of people overlook it you know it's like you know, string players aren't going like, you know, you know, like with like <laughs> yeah. everything at 127, like, you know, right. guns blazing. That's not, of course, people are going to be like, oh, that doesn't sound very realistic. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, so it's like you got to understand, you know, like in listening to a lot of music helps. But yes, yeah, just taking it, you know, that that's something I would tell people, like, just take the time to like learn how players play, you know, like right. having you know a, a choir or brass, you know, they're not going to be going and holding that for like 40 seconds like they mm-hmm. would die. 
Yeah. You know, like <laughs> exactly. gotta cycle it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't kill your players. Just, yeah. you know, let them do their job. And, and, and another thing that, uh, I guess people don't put enough emphasis on is just basic volume balancing, right? So they can have a ton of instruments, but if there's something that's hidden in there, that's actually a really important element, then the listener is not going to get that. So sometimes it is just as simple as turning up that fader or lowering the others just to mm. make a little bit more room there. And then of course you can do panning and EQ and everything, but fiddling with the faders, getting a good starting static mix when you're finished your arrangement, that can do wonders for your mix. I think I, I said in the course, it gets you about like 80, 85% of the way there. So uh, focus on getting those balances right too. Yeah. When, when you start a cue, are you trying to create a singable melody first or are you starting with a chord pattern or how do you start a artistic cue? Yeah, I, I think maybe 90% of the time it uh, my compositions t- tend to start from a, a melody of some sort, uh, some sort okay. of theme. And I just think back to my favorite pieces of music. They all have melodies that I just can't get out of my head. And that's the type of music and experience that I want to leave my listeners with as well. And I think a lot of, you know, most composers probably have that same sort of idea and desire and their genres might be totally different, but I I honestly believe that melody is king. And uh, if you can establish a good melody right away and strip away all of the instrumental and lay that down on a single instrument, like a piano or a guitar and have mm-hmm. that sound good, then you know, you're starting from a good foundation. Yeah. Nice. Just that the heart, the heart of it, you know, that's what it yeah. all comes down to. It's like, that's always like a great way to, to know, you know, if what you're doing isn't like too just thrown kitchen sink at it. Cause I think that's one of the things that's really easy for people to do when, especially when you have the ability to stack as many instruments and things as possible. Like, yeah. you know, can you take this and just put it on like a piano or acoustic guitar mm. and be, and be able to just like, Oh, this is nice. You know, but if it's like, you can't, might be a little right. too much going on. So that's, a, yeah, that's a great way of just like condensing down. Like That's why like, you know, you see like those piano books where it's like just like basic kind of melody and, and chords yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, like those are great ways of just, you know, being able to like really break stuff apart. You know, if you're not at the right. level of breaking down like a full orchestral piece or something like that. Right. And and that's why like, you don't, you don't necessarily need a full, full blown like classical education or something. But like you said, going back and seeing some of those, um, really basic repertoire and just looking at how composers made the most out of a single instrument that can teach you so much about voicing and mm-hmm. you know where harmony goes, how melody fits on top and et cetera. So what are you trying to do right now as far as like bettering, you know, is there anything that you're kind of like working on at the moment to, you know, to get stronger at, whether it's composition or or just music knowledge or like like what are what are you trying to work on right now for yourself? Yeah. Um I think from the business side of things, I'm, I think I already kind of touched on this, but I, I really want to find that sweet spot of where my content can lie and uh, continually deliver in that area. I would love to continue to refine that message. And I guess musically, yeah, I, I, I want to write a second album soon. Uh, I just like, I don't want to completely rely on the, when the creative inspiration strikes, but I also know that, you know, if I try to force something, it's usually not going to turn out so well. So that's always a balance that I'm trying to fix, but it would be fun to, you know, continue writing and maybe develop some new tastes in new genres. But I know that like at the, at the set, at the core of what I do, I'll, I'll probably continue to try to write music that's as memorable as possible. And um, that just makes me feel really good. But yeah, definitely trying to expand on the palette and uh, appreciate more genres is definitely something I want to continue doing. Yeah. yeah, I would I would love to hear you do some Disney music, but it's electronica. Oh, 
That's what I want to hear. It's some techno music, but it's Alan Menken. Oh my top. gosh. Some dub Disney. <laughs> dub Disney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If that doesn't That'd exist already. So uh, as far as hobbies and interests outside of music, you said tennis. I heard you say tennis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. How, tennis have is... you played have you played tennis a long time, like all your life? Yeah, I think I my, my dad introduced me to it when I was uh maybe nine or ten. And yeah, he got me enrolled in lessons at a at an earlier age. So it's been it's been one of those things where like I'm not a super athletic person, but I have this sport that I just really enjoy. And I can really thank my parents for that. And uh, I have a couple friends who are always down to play and um, yeah, it's it's just a really great way to not only energize your body, but to clear your mind, maybe inspire new musical ideas. For me, that's that's my preferred form of exercise when the the timing is right, when there's no snow. Yeah, it's a hard sport. Yeah, uh, it's very hard. Yeah, I mean, it's just you know, it's just hand eye coordination. That's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I prefer uh, pickleball. Have you played pickleball? I haven't. No. Okay, it's basically pickleball. tennis for tennis for retired people. Oh. Now, that sounds interesting. I actually want to play that now. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like a cross between tennis and ping pong almost. Like, okay. Uh, you play That's on a cool. tennis court, but it's much smaller. And it's gotcha. you usually play with doubles. Mm. But like I said, it's sweeping retirement homes worldwide. Pickleball. Right, right. I, I would play it if it involved taking actual pickles and yes. just like <laughs> smashing them with a tennis racket because right. I despise pickles. We can so, do that, Craig. So I'm down for that. Yeah, or just, you know, like or like clay pigeon, like throw up a pickle and just you know. That's your new your new instrument right there. <laughs> just we pickle slayer. That. We can sample that for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but like ping pong, badminton, that's all great. Yeah. <laughs> and you're in Toronto, is that right? Correct. Yeah, Ontario. Yep. How is, how's the music scene there? You said you teach lessons. I do. Yeah. I mean, the, the students all come to me and I do some online lessons too, but yeah, I I would say the music scene is pretty healthy. I'm not really sure about the state of things like downtown. I I don't live downtown anymore, so I'm out of the loop there, but uh, yeah, with the power of just the online era, I feel like you can really discover music that you wouldn't have discovered earlier, or you can just develop your skills more by connecting with other people. But yeah, like I, I personally have never been a huge bar or music venue guy. I've always preferred sure. to stay at home as an introvert and just make music on the computer. But I, I'm pretty sure that music is starting to come back alive in uh, mm-hmm. in Toronto, Ontario. Yeah. Do you have like collaborators that you work with in Toronto or is it just mostly online? Funny enough, I don't really have any collaborators at all on a regular basis. Um, like I'll, I'll work with other people like on a freelance basis, you know, but mm-hmm. when it comes to writing music, I, I, I love the feeling of just having a hundred percent control of what I want. Understood. And yeah. that's <laughs> totally debatable. Right. But yeah, for me, it's just the grat- gratification. Of- you don't want to see that email that with like 50 changes in it. And you're just <laughs> you like, Oh no. You got me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a, See, a if it's a client, okay. then it's yeah. okay. But yeah. uh, but if it's you know a collaborator, then it's like, well, you know, we we want to get both of our inputs there, but at the same time, it's you know we want to serve the song as best as we can. Maybe it's not a good match. I don't know. Yeah, don't join but, a band then, man. Especially when you got like three or four other people. Like, right? Well, what about this thing? I want to put this thing in there. It's like, you know, it's like <laughs> it's it's good if you have like someone who's like kind of like the the main person who's kind of coordinating all the ideas and like right you know putting it together yeah like you know you got too many chefs in the kitchen things are bound to catch on fire Mm. yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. i mean if it if i'm if i'm collaborating with maybe someone who has an entirely different skill set like maybe they're a lyricist or maybe they're uh just an orchestrator and i'm maybe hired just to write the music then totally fine right but Mm -hmm. 
if it's like two composers in the same room who have to put together a cue together, um, for me, it's a lot more difficult. Yeah. Do you ever hire musicians to play parts like cello or I saw you worked with Tina? Tina Guo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so she she hired me specifically in that case. Okay. Um, she uh, made a post on Facebook uh, looking for MIDI orchestrators. And I was, I was like, okay, I'll just give it a go. And I had literally just released um, a piece. I think it was a couple weeks ago at that point. And then I sent that to her in an email and she liked it. And so she basically hired me to take her existing cello arrangement and then expand it into a fuller uh, piece. And that was a lot of fun. Um, she shared that on her channel. It's been great. That's amazing. Uh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for my album, I basically hired a couple of players to perform uh, parts for a big band song um, because okay. sampling that and getting that through virtual instruments is a lot more difficult than just mm-hmm. strings. But yeah, that, that was a lot of fun just to hear how live players really bring in that feel for sure. I love it, dude. All right, I got a couple quick questions for you and then we can wrap this up. The first Sounds quick good. question is the best recent purchase under $100. Uh, music related? It doesn't have to be. Anything you're digging that you have that you purchased under $100 recently. Toenail well, clippers? You know? oh, <laughs> yeah, if you have like a gourmet, <clears throat> amazing toenail clipper recommendation, we'll Unfortunately, take Unfortunately, I don't have... Gourmet nail clippers, but I do remember uh, two nights ago I had this amazing lobster fettuccine, uh, okay. and, and, and it was like thirty bucks, so it's like Expensive, under what yeah. I was expected. Actually, <laughs> okay, as I nice. say, like forty, fifty, you know. And they had a lobster tail. They also had like a few extra pieces of succulent lobster in there. And I was like, I don't eat lobster every day, but like this is really good for the price. I I don't tend to buy too much uh, music related stuff, honestly, because sure. I. I again at that minimal type of approach has served me well so far. And I know with my limited space, it would just clutter everything. So a lobster dinner that inspired you. I like there it. you go. There yeah. you go. Love well, it. you said you got some new lights. <laughs> what, what, how, how much were those? Uh, that's yeah, those the Elgato ones, right? Elgato, yeah, exactly. Those are, I think, are uh, 130 each. So <sighs> just out of the ring. <laughs> yeah. Can't exactly. Talk about I would have said them. I would have said yeah. them. But, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Haven't set them up yet. Um, and then another one is a favorite YouTube channel, podcast, or TV show at the moment. It doesn't have to be all-time favorite, just something you're you're liking right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I watch a smattering of different channels and different topics, but uh, one channel that always hooks my attention is one called Cult Tennis. And okay. it's not it's not a cult, but it, it's a great <laughs> channel that goes into the the nitty-gritty behind tennis and some of its history and some of that. Um, I think we all have our... Um, channels that we just binge but uh, oh, that, yeah. that one the production quality is really high and he does a great job narrating everything it's just really enjoyable to watch cult nice. tennis yeah cult tennis i like it mm-hmm. and then what accomplishments or goals do you see yourself achieving in the next couple of years so what's next for you basically yeah honestly this year the goal is to reach 80k in the online business and hopefully continue to grow it year by year um i would love to again be Totally working on the online business 100% by March or April next year. That's the goal. And then, yeah, that would free me up to write more music, spend more time playing tennis, do just enjoy life, basically. vibing, yeah. Yeah, vibing. And then if some cool opportunities come my way, like writing with bigger artists or arranging or whatever, then I'm definitely down to do it. But yeah, I look forward to continuing on this content creation journey and helping people and just seeing the results along the way. That's working the plan. on the online business. That's that's Correct. smart. And um, you're developing a community of composers and people interested in music who are like highly engaged, you know, so it's better to have 
15,000 people following you who are willing to buy from you and basically mm. be super fans rather than 100K people who aren't really interested in your stuff. They're just kind of mm. watching you for entertainment value or whatever. So I think it's I think it's smart to kind of niche down and just develop a highly engaged audience. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing. Like people who are just watching on YouTube or just following on social media, like those are, I think, what we would consider passive leads or, you know, passive audiences. But people who actually want to go deeper with you and let's say join your email list, those are what we would call warmer leads, right? And people who are more likely to buy something from you. And uh, that's the power of the list of um, just engaging with people on a personal level by trading something really, really valuable for their email and then delivering them value every week and potentially offering them paid stuff that could really better their lives. Like that's the power of the online business and what scalable income is looking like going forward, I think. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's been really awesome to see how your channel's grown and, and you as a person. Like, it's been really cool because I, I remember your channel back when it was like almost like at the beginning. So, yeah, it's been, it's been cool to see how it's grown and how you've, you know, I've always seen you in the in the Facebook groups and VI control and stuff. So that's thank that's you. really cool, man. And I think you're doing a great thing. So, well, I have yeah. to thank you, too. I think you guys were uh, probably the first one of the first companies to reach out to me actually for reviews actually so mm-hmm. yeah i saw so your you, channel i was like oh i like this i like this kid <laughs> i think it was for emotional piano yeah, yeah. and i already owned the library but i was like oh this is so nice <laughs> they actually think it's it's cool <laughs> yeah. yeah of course man yeah i think yeah. you're absolutely on the right track with consistency is key too i know christian henson did a video we were talking about a couple of weeks ago that is he was basically like how not to give up and one mm. of the things is just make sure that you set yourself up so you aren't giving up basically like you know figure out financial stability figure out how to take breaks if you need them but mm. keep keep doing the thing and i mean i think you'll find over the next year your subscribers will continue growing and your fan base will continue growing and consistency will be a big part of that and then the other funny thing about YouTube is you don't get to pick what you're famous for. Mm-hmm. And Craig and I talk about that all the time because one of our videos is like how to build a PC for production. And we just like fool around building this <laughs> computer yeah, yeah. for music production. And like it has dumb amount of views on it. And what? we're like, it's not it's not even something we really care for people right. to watch. Yeah. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't like fully, fully for music production. It was like my work computer. And video. I was like, oh, we should like film it and like talk about some stuff. <laughs> yeah, bro. And then That's and sweet. then that video alone brings out all the hardcore like PC nerds. And they're just yeah. like, no, nah, man, <laughs> so no, one, you don't use AMD that blah, blah, blah. What's yeah. Specs. yeah, it's the spec guys come out and just start like ripping it. Right. You know? But yeah, it's, right. it's it's funny how that works. It is, it is. And I think the more polarizing your content is as well, right? Probably the better too, because you don't just want lukewarm stuff if you were like, oh, this, you know, this is stuff we see every day. But if you can tickle or rustle some feathers and get people triggered. Oh yeah, that, that ruffles some feathers. <laughs> that's, the, that's the key there. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's great. Uh, so yeah, Christopher, this has been a blast, man. Thanks for coming Thank on you. the old Sound Iron Podcast. And we will send people directly towards your YouTube channel and get them checking out how to compose better. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, All appreciate right, man. it, man. Craig, talk to you next week, man. All right, man. Take it easy. Peace. Later, Chris.